cup of coffee hope october is going well it's not an easy month it's not an easy month hopefully you're working hard it's paying some dividends with your students and their learning hopefully those relationships are growing uh just overall hope you're having a good october and we're excited to be back with you here on the teacher's cup of coffee today we're going to try and do exactly what we are we're going to try and give you a shot of caffeine a new idea new thinking and it's going to try you know i'm trying to keep this to seven to ten minutes but it comes right from another podcast, which I've really enjoyed. One of my educator friends in the New Haven, Connecticut area shared it with me, and I've been enjoying listening to it, and today I want to summarize one of them. The podcast is called Education Research Reading Room. It is a much longer podcast. Each episode is over an hour, and it dives into research and really gets at the nuts and bolts. Obviously, here at Teacher's Cup of Coffee, we like to take things like that, try to find the highlights, make them quick, make them quick bites of caffeine for you. That's what we're doing today. What we're going to be talking about today was an interview with a gentleman by the name of Andrew Martin. Andrew Martin is a professor and researcher in Australia, which is known for its progressive education. He focuses on motivation and engagement, what switches students on and what switches students off. The big question they were addressing in this is what's better? Do, what's better? Explicit instruction where we really break things down for kids and, and, and they practice or like autonomous discovery. We're often talking about on Teacher's Cup of Coffee, like kids need to drive their own learning. Kids need to pose their own questions. Kids need to research on their own. So what's better, this explicit instruction, sort of the traditional way, or this sort of autonomous discovery? What leads to more achievement? And Andrew Martin has really looked at this, and he actually has found that what leads to the highest level of student achievement is a blend of the two. We need explicit and we need discovery approaches. His goal, well, I'm sorry, what he talks about is obviously the goal of education really is to increase the amount of information and skills stored in long-term memory. We all have a huge amount of long-term memory. Us as humans, we have no idea how much we've tapped, but it seems like it's a never-ending supply that we can get more into long-term memory. Everything goes that we solidify in our learning goes into long-term memory. And then our working memory is what put that that's where we pull stuff out of long-term memory while we're doing it. So working memory has very limited capacity, but this is where we operate second to second. Long-term memory has no limits and it's constantly building and growing. So a couple cool analogies. The first one is if you think about a desk, long-term memory are the drawers and the cabinets, which has everything in it that you would possibly need to use at the desk and working memory is what's on the desk what are you working with in that exact moment well the goal of education is to get as much stuff in long-term memory as we can we want that to be full of the important information content and skills that it needs to have and remember so that when we need it we can draw upon it and bring it in 
The thing that Andrew talks about is that teachers must teach in organized ways that optimize the building of long-term memory. So it's not just we give it to kids and some kids are smart and they can put it in long-term memory and some kids aren't and they can't. It's different. It's actually really dependent on us, which is what made me love this podcast so much and is what makes me really scared as an educator when I realize how much impact I have on whether stuff goes into long-term memory or does not. Another cool metaphor they talk about in this podcast is think of long-term memory as a house and you might have a room that is your math room and a room that is your social studies room and in that room let's go back into the math room in that room you got cabinets and drawers and they're filing cabinets and they're in there you might have like a measurement drawer and then in the measurement drawer you might have a file that's metric system and a file that's inches in the American system and a file you know and then in those files you have even more and that's how long-term memory works is we want to have everything organized well in our house the best long-term memories are organized well in our house so that when our working memory needs to get them, they know exactly where to find them. The quick kids in our classrooms, the ones that can just get stuff fast, those are the ones that their memory, they know where everything is. Their memory, had they've learned stuff, they've learned things in an organized way and therefore it's stored in an organized fashion and they can get it out of their long-term memory quick. Those are our quick kids. So again, the way we deliver instructional material majorly impacts how kids organize the information in their brain. So if we can deliver structured linear instruction, instruction, so we want structured linear instruction, that can lead to the memory organizing it the same way. So if we present it right, the, the long-term memory is more easily able to organize it right. And therefore, six months later, when we kid, need kids to draw upon it and use their working memory to, 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 to take it apart, they know where to get it in their brain, and it is there. When our organization, on the flip side, when our organization is all over the place, the brain is unable to process, and, and it can't send anything to long-term memory. So when we don't deliver things in a structured, like, correct manner, then the poor kids sitting in front of us aren't able to get it into their memory in the correct manner. And then when they take the state test eight months later, we say, what happened? We went over it. Well, a lot of us, me included, blame them. We did it. I went over it. But it's it, this this research from the education, education research reading room really says that's not the case. In a lot of cases, it's that teachers haven't presented it in the right way, and therefore students weren't able to store it in their long-term memory. So Professor Martin draws upon what he calls load reduction instruction, LRI. And he says this is the way we need to teach if we want to optimize the, the amount of information that goes into long-term memory. couple other names for it. He calls it LRI. Really, it's cognitive load reduction instruction. So in one sense, it's, it's how we lower the load on the cognitive side for students so that it can go in in an organized fashion. And of course, then we grow the load so that they have to try harder things and, and do higher order thinking skills around the new content, but it's called LRI, Load Reduction Instruction. I will say, though, that Professor Martin in the podcast says he, he actually prefers it would be called Load Management Instruction. So it's not about reducing the load necessarily at all times, because some kids we need to up the load, but it's about managing it. Where are kids at? Where are they at in their learning? And we need to make sure we're delivering it in a way that is able to be organized and get the stuff they're learning into their long-term memory. So we come to a new lesson. 
kids always start off as novices. They are, they're novices when we get to new stuff. And that's why we need to practice load reduction instruction. Five easy steps for LRI. Step one, the teacher must begin by reducing the difficulty of materials and the instruction. We need to start simple. We need to start clear. We need to get rid of all the nonsense on the outside, hone right in on the content or the skill, and we need to reduce the difficulty and make it so that kids can really accept the new information, accept the new skills, accept the new knowledge, and it, it makes sense because it's simple. Step two, we need to provide clear scaffolding and support. This is where we would give them modeling, modeled examples. So if they, if we need them to do something, we show them, show them that exact thing done well. This would be where we give them small steps or when we break the process into chunks. So step two is to provide scaffolding and support. Step three is to provide practice. Kids need to practice and we know this in our instruction. And actually what Professor Martin found is that as kids practice, they gain efficacy as they succeed. So their brain actually gets stronger and they feel more confident and they want to go further when they're practicing and feeling some success. Step four is to provide feedback and feed forward. I love that expression, feedback. Now that I heard Professor Martin explain this way, it just seems so archaic. Like, here's what you did, here's what you did right, here's what you did wrong. Feed forward is where we're watching students, they've been practicing, and we give them thoughts, suggestions, ideas, and information to spring them to the next step in this content or in this piece of learning. So number four is provide feedback or feed forward. And number five is where we find discovery learning. This is open open-ended autonomous tasks that connect back to the learning but that are student-driven, they are higher order, and they are really inquiry-based. So it's it starts, like we talked about, it starts with that explicit instruction in step one, reduce difficulty of materials and instruction. Step two, provide scaffolding and support. And then step three, they're practicing. And then step four is where we try to start to make the switch into this discovery approaches of providing feedback and feed forward. And then step five, discovery, open-ended open autonomous tasks. We need explicit learning, um, excuse me, we need explicit teaching and learning, and we need discovery teaching and learning. So we need to be able to be very clear up front and then move towards student-driven towards the end. And again, this is not just a cool way to say how we should to teach. This comes from the research and it really comes from the research around memory. How funny is it that we spend so much time as educators trying to get kids to remember things, but so rarely do we talk about the X's and O's and the how the memory actually works. That's what I loved about this topic today. So we need explicit discover, explicit and discovery teaching and learning. It needs to be in an organized fashion, follow the five steps. And if we do this, we get Give students the best chance to get their learning into long-term memory. A lot of us can do a really good job tomorrow getting students to be able to do tomorrow what we need them to do tomorrow. But the real question as educators, is any of that getting into long-term memory so that in eight months, in two years, that it's in there and then they can draw upon it when they need it. 
That is our goal as educators and load reduction instruction can help. Think about memory. This week, think about memory. Look at your instruction. Are you following the five steps? And if you are, know that you are giving students the best chance to move your learning into their long-term memory. I hope everybody has a great week. Feel free to email us if you have any good ideas for topics or articles or suggestions. I would have never heard about this podcast that I listened to for to, to summarize for you here, if not from hearing from an educator in Connecticut with this idea. So send them along. You get the emails from me. Just hit reply. Give me some ideas. Share some articles. We love it. We want to keep giving you shots of caffeine, keep you moving forward. And we hope you have a great week. And we'll see you in a couple weeks here at the Teacher's Cup of Coffee. Everybody, no more sleeping in bed. Oh, wake up, everybody.